episode today because this is the first time that one of our guests is outside of the lower 48 of the United States. Today we are traveling to Alaska and we have Kelly here with us and she is found on Instagram at Kodiak Goat Dairy and I'm so excited for you guys to hear about Kelly's homestead and her travel to Alaska and how she got there. So Kelly, thank you one for being a guest today and I'm so excited um, just to learn more about you um, and your story. So I guess the big thing I want to start with, I've heard snippets of your story and how you guys got to Alaska, but I think that it's such a cool story that I think it's a great place to start. So would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so goodness, I'm going to come up on 19 years in Kodiak, January wow. 10th, which is ridiculous that, that we've been here that long, but, um, and you went to Alaska I, for the first one in January. That is gutsy. Well, no, 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 it wasn't. I moved <laughs> there in January. So, <laughs> so part of the, part of the whole story, my, um, cousins used to live up in Kodiak and they worked at Kodiak Baptist Mission. And I was a Nebraska born and raised kid on our farm there. And, and I'd always want to go visit them, but that's like not feasible for, <laughs> for Nebraska farmers. But when I was graduating from high school, my grandpa was like, Hey, I'm going to go visit, you know, I'm going to go up to Kodiak because my cousin was working on a charter boat. And my grandma was like, no, I'm not going. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I was like, yes, I volunteer. Please let me go to Kodiak. And so I went up and I really just went fishing with my cousin and my grandpa and I loved Alaska. And as we were coming back into port one day, I had told my cousin Lance, I was like, man, I'd really love to come back. And he's like, there's Kodiak Baptist Mission. And I think they have summer counselor positions. Like you could come and work at their summer camp next summer. Hmm. So you put that, you know, back in your mind and come January the next year, I was sitting in my college dorm and I was like, I'm going to go to Alaska. I'm going to do that. And so I applied, I was accepted and came up as a short-term missionary. So, you know, you pay your own way. And I worked in their summer day camp program. Um, and I, of course, loved it, loved the opportunity to be there and just never quite left. Came back, was getting ready to finish my, my year of school and I could do my college internship somewhere else. And I was like, Hey, Kodiak Baptist Mission, do you need a person to help do, you know, do anything? I was a communication major. So I put together their history and I came up and I um, did my internship. And right as I was finishing my internship, the guy that I was interning under was just accepted to medical school. And I really wanted to come back. And so I talked to the director and I was like, hey, I just need enough to pay for my school payment. Um, otherwise that's like, I'll volunteer. Can I work here? And so right out of college, I went back up to Cody. I got submission. I've only worked in one place my entire life. It's been right wow. here. I know it's very odd. That does not happen anymore. Um, and I came up as a missionary and I, I, it's sometimes it's a little tricky to explain to people, but there are so many mission opportunities right in the United States. And I, mm -hmm. I think that sometimes we get the idea that we have to go to another country, but really like, I mean, put a sign over your door. The second you leave that door, that is your mission field. And it just happened that for me, it was Kodiak. And I just felt like this was where the Lord 100% wanted me 
to be. So whether it be summer day camps, working with, working with kids, doing just random things, I was on, on this campus. And so it's 32 acres they have here. And then like another, another 600 right across the water that Cody wow. mission leased. And I had heard stories, you know, about there being farming. It was established back in 1893, you know, and you'd see these old buildings and like the barn was King Tut's tomb down there, you know, that you had had things. And a number of years passed. Well, my, my husband also, not, not at the time, but he came up to be a summer day camp counselor as mm. well. And we had known each other from church camp as a kid, as kids. And so when I heard that like little Stephen Foreman was coming up, I was like, oh, how cute, like Stephen, <laughs> like he, he was so skinny and little, like when we were counselors and or, um, campers. And then he got in here. I was like, wow, hey, like Stephen Foreman, you have grown up. And, and we were always the same age. But um, it was about exactly a year later we got married. And wow. he, was, he was finishing college. So, you know, we spent the summer in Kodiak. And the great part is we'd work all day, but it does really get dark. So, you know, we'd get to know each other more in the evenings. And I came home to visit family in September. He asked me to marry him. I went back up to Kodiak. Like we had never spent a considerable amount of time together until we were driving the Alcan to come back to Kodiak. And I was like, dude, I hope this works. Like, I hope <laughs> that we're okay here. Um, and anyway, thankfully, thankfully we are. But he, um, he came up and worked at the Christian school and I worked here full time. And throughout the course, of, of years, you know, fast forward quite a bit, you know, you working with kids. And as we started to think about starting our own family, you start to think like, how can you really make an impact or how can you develop, you know, kids? And for me, it was farming. You know, I grew up a fifth generation farmer in Nebraska. Um, my dad raised market beef. My other, one grandpa had sheep. One grandpa had hogs. My grandma was the the chicken lady and then um, my mom did goats and the goats really you know hit me she had been diagnosed with ms when i was one year old and given two years to live and so we completely switched around and made food our entire medicine source and goats were a big way that we did that because we wanted raw milk and uh, our food was truly just so important to health. And so my mom here, she's 40 years later, still alive, still doing very, very well. But uh, it has a lot to do with the choices we made. Well, farming has a lot to do with that. And I think any person, you know, I came up to Alaska and I was like, uh, not farming, please. Like I'm going to be Miss Patagonia hiker lady. And yep. that's not like it. I came back to the roots and I really wanted, I wanted really good food for my family. I really wanted those, the characteristics that come through the home and farming. And um, that's when we're like, uh, I'm going to fly down a couple of goats to Kodiak from the mainland. So two mini Nubian goats came by plane, cargo plane to Kodiak. And we started to take the dust off of stuff and started to build little sheds. And um, then, you know, came the chickens and the sheep and the pigs, and the ducks, and I was trying to, oh, the cattle. We started a free-range cattle herd on the nearby island to help, you know, take down the, the brush. And it's just like, it's adorable. Like, you can't stop. And then we have, you know, our horses and mule, 
as well. And then, you know, I, I'm very much in the, in the, the part that being a, being a missionary, you always want to find unconventional ways to reach people. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, you know, everybody has to eat, you know, everybody mm -hmm. needs food. And in Kodiak farming is not normal. Like that's not a thing that that people do you know fishing is king here and so you bring in goats and they're like what is that and it draws people you know it makes people yep. want to come well um then i i got this crazy idea that we should start a goat dairy and again it was just like like i don't know in hindsight i was like that probably wasn't a good idea at the time in alaska you can only be grade a certified and mm -hmm. so i was like okay i'm gonna start a grade a certified dairy and my dad was like, don't do that. Don't do that. I've <laughs> never met anybody in the dairy world that's happy. Like, no, no dairy farmer is happy. Like, Kelly, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. And so that's where the, the goat dairy started. So being a disconnected island, and this is where for me, it's truly still and is, you know, a ministry. Goat milk's a universal milk. So if the planes don't fly, and the boats don't sail. I can't. I cannot produce enough milk for this entire island. But I can keep babies alive, and I can keep mm -hmm. infants alive, and toddlers. You know that would be without, like, if they needed a formula or if they they had an issue, because goat milk is that universal milk. Um, so it's a it's a neat outreach. I truly believe that you know food is our medicine. I think that it it draws people together and. If I can bring people in and then have the opportunity um, for them first, hopefully, to see Jesus in me. And then I always love it if, if, if they can see it and they can say, what what is this all about? And then to be able to say, oh, my hope, my salvation is in Jesus Christ. And yep. that's my cornerstone. Like, do you want to hear about it or do you want to come to our service on Sunday? And then hopefully you know we did a farm and ranch program and and this was really this was a neat opportunity i had a bunch of kids i think we had 11 kids get baptized in a horse tank in the barn oh that were in our farm and ranch program and johnny our executive director came in there and he baptized everybody but they found jesus on the farm with the goats and their families were all there and and so yes it's very much about my family it's about our community um too and it's it continues to kind of grow and develop but i'm yeah i'm still working at kodiak baptist mission but the farm has definitely so i i own the farm side at this point and then we work in unison together mm -hmm. that is so cool i love that story so much and now being in the christmas season and you know where baby jesus was born and all the things when you were talking about those kids getting baptized in a stock tank it just gave me chills and all i could like mm. just see is like you know where baby jesus was brought into this world you know in the hay and it just it gave me chills it's so cool it's just that mindset right now in the in the season yeah. that it just puts it all into a little bit different perspective and a little bit different light yeah so yeah that's really, really interesting. So um, you had said that your husband came up to, was he, did he go to school for something similar to you or are you guys totally no, different fields? No, he's a city kid. Like Stephen was born and raised in the city. Um, he was a pastor's kid and he was, uh, elementary education was what he went into okay. and um, business minor. So 
we're both youngest children and we both just really like to do multiple things. So throughout a period of time, he became an LPC, so a licensed professional counselor. And so he has a private practice now and it actually is housed right at Kodiak Baptist Mission. And so he has a little, yeah, he has a little counseling practice. He also runs a whale watch tour business, a car rental business and vacation rentals. So you you guys are so busy. Why would you stick with one thing? Like (laughs) it's just, just something. So in the summer he's out doing the whale, but he is so fantastic. Like he helps whenever he can. Like, and, and the boys are really into it. And Steven's like, yep, here we go. Like he grabs the baby goat bottles or like if he kill a lot of the time, he's the one that I send to the mainland. I'm like, Hey, I bought a couple of goats. Can you bring them down on the ferry for me? And he's like, no, stop it. Like stop buying things. Like I made him bring three sheep most recently. And he's like, this is not, well, cause you know, you don't have it in Kodiak. And so I have a couple of friends on the mainland, but it's, it's a trip. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. How long does it take by ferry to get from the mainland to where you needed, like where your port is or whatever you call it on Kodiak? Right. So Kodiak Island, we are a one hour plane ride to Anchorage or we get on the ferry and it's anywhere between a 10 to 14 hour ferry ride to Homer. And then from Homer, it's another about five, six hour drive to Anchorage. Wow. Yeah. I I do say like we are, we are very remote. We are not necessarily rural. Like I can go up to a simple Walmart or a safe, a simple Safeway, but like the barge bypasses us frequently. Like our shelves are empty frequently because of weather or, you know, something, something happens like, like that. So, um, yeah, any vehicle, anything that's here came by boat or by plane. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's really so interesting. (laughs) I think it's super cool how you had said that how goat milk is universal milk and that if for whatever happens, you got bypassed by the barge and your shelves weren't stocked, that you could keep those babies, those infants, those toddlers alive because you have that milk. And is that something where it's easily like accessible? Like, are they able to find you easily? You do for the most part. So Kodiak, total island, and we have seven villages outer line. That's an additional plane or boat trip from Kodiak. Um, But we have 13,000 people on the entire island. So we're pretty small, you know, at the end of the day. Um, Most people know, especially now, like I'm kind of the crazy goat lady. We have the (laughs) farmer's market here, you know, so they they see us. The, The interesting part through the years, and it's always like trial, trial and error. The interesting part, so you have to be grade A certified in Alaska. Well, you did up until this past February, March, and the governor issued a new thing where he legalized the sale of raw milk. So I had gotten to the point, especially after COVID, with fewer distributors, I was having a really hard time finding bottlers. I was, you know, all people that were certified to be able to put my milk into something to get it out the door. And if under the raw milk certification, it makes it available to be able to do fluid milk again yeah and and for us it's interesting because you feel like oh covid would have like relaxed some of these issues it didn't for us like they did not miss a month coming to inspect the our my facility and um still all of the same guidelines you know i'd have to fall under so there are restrictions in getting the milk however that's where it's kind of like okay i'm gonna be brave 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to take the, you know, like, cause nobody has done this. This is, this is a raw milk deal. And they really try and do the fear, the fear tactics of like, you can't get insured. What's going to happen when, and I like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to function that way. There are ways that we can work around that. So, um, mm. I'm in the process. So really what I want to do, I'm really about food freedom. I want there be to be freedom for people to make their own choices. So I want to have that raw milk sitting right there on the farm that you can come pick up. I want to have the pasteurized milk right there. If that's what you prefer, raw cheese, okay. pa- like what, do, what do you want? What's going to serve your family's needs best? What do you feel comfortable with? And then open, open myself up enough so people really can see like, this is our farm. This is where we're at. The nice part, like I say, we are remote. We're not necessarily rural. We're right outside the city limits. So, okay. you know, it doesn't take, you don't have to drive all around, you know, to get to us, you know, Safeway, Walmart are three minutes from my house, which means that people can get right here to the farm and buy direct. So Mm -hmm. I'm working towards helping make it more accessible every day. Yeah. And I think, I think that's really cool that, you know, you're talking about having your raw milk and pasteurized milk next Mm -hmm. to each other, because all in all, people are going to have questions. They're going to be like, well, what's this one? And what's the difference between, you know, and to have that conversation that just opens up the door for people to know about food freedom, like, you know, what you can do on your own land and your own little homestead, even if you live in town, in city limits, like you, like you said, you are right outside and you have a full fledged goat dairy going on. Like you don't need to have, you know, these big elaborate different things and, you know, be super remote to do something. So that's really really a positive for a lot of people yeah we're we're trying i I think it'd be interesting you know because a lot of people are really intimidated really by raw milk at the end of the day you know because it's Mm -hmm. not been anyway i'd love to just say try it one for one here you go like give it a shot see what you think what works best with your body how do you feel at the end and yep do you notice a taste difference between the pasteurized goat's milk and raw goat's milk is there a big difference I, I don't yeah. know that it's a big difference, but I do notice a difference. But I also notice a difference if I chill the milk really quick to if mm-hmm. it's not chilled quick. You know, so yeah. I think that there's there's the if I'm milking for I'm milking out here and I'm just gonna stick it in the refrigerator and take it home to whether I'm gonna stick it in that vat and I'm gonna zap it. Zap it's a bad word, but freeze it down to like thirty five degrees. So, you know, like I can put it in my vat and it gets down to like thirty five, thirty seven degrees in 40 minutes that milk is sweeter and better than if i take the hot milk and then just put it in the refrigerator and take it home the the shelf life is a little bit longer even with raw milk so it's it it really comes back to how what i'm gonna do with the milk um i notice and this is interesting and i don't know i notice the cream separates more if i pasteurize the milk than if i don't pasteurize the milk whoa so like i'll go i'll get a layer of cream on pasteurized milk and I will not get it. It stays non-homogenized. I mean, it, it, it doesn't separate. Right. Or, that's interesting to me. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, like Kylie, who is another co-host here, mm-hmm. she has, oats, and she always talks about how she doesn't have like that cream separation and hers is mm-hmm. raw and not yeah. pasteurized. So that, that makes sense. I never like put that together. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause we do, you know, I have both. I do just depends on what, what I'm doing. Like if I'm going to make mozzarella, don't, don't pasteurize your cheese or your milk. Don't pasteurize your milk. You're never going to get cheese. Those types of things are super interesting to me that I'm like, Hmm, what did we kill so that this didn't work? 
when you try right. anyway does anyway but yeah if you the separation will come more on a pasteurized milk i low temp pasteurized so that's the other interesting part and you miss this like we're a super I, i'm i'm also you know I, i'm passionate about a lot of things but the small farm side of things and i feel like that's going away because we corporate you know make everything so corporate that we lose even the the abilities to do things like you only have to heat your milk to 145 degrees legally. Really, nobody does that anymore. They no. nuke that stuff to 200 and some degrees. And I mean, you don't, there's, there are still things that can live at 145. Um, but again, you're not, nobody's, nobody's doing that anymore unless you're a, a small, a small farm. But we low temp pasteurize, but that makes our shelf life a lot shorter. Yep. Anyway, and raw milk, I think after four days, you probably have hit your, your limit with a raw milk. I think that that's, yeah. at least I notice. Whereas pasteurized milk, it'll stay good for a long time. Again, just very time. interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I know we get, we don't, I've never had raw goat's milk. I've never drank goat's mm -hmm. milk. I've had goat's cheese, goat's milk yeah. lotion, like all of those things. Um, but I've never drank it. And we get raw cow's milk because the closest goat dairy from us is like 45 minutes to an hour away. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a hop, skip, and a jump just to go get right, it every right. week. Um, so it's something I definitely want to try, but um, it's just not as accessible in our area. And so having it on Kodiak, I think is super cool that you have you know, the room to, to do that for, for me. Yeah. Well, well and goats, goats are such a great option. And, you know, like you can have them right in your backyard. So Kodiak's really wet. We're a temperate rainforest. Mm -hmm. So like our cattle run on another Island completely. If they were on the Kodiak side, it would be a mud pit over here. The grass, mm -hmm. you know, the ground isn't as stable. Whereas goats have such a small footprint that they don't hurt, you know, your ground near so much. The other neat part yeah. about a goat that uh, if, if by chance, say the bar doesn't come in, say I don't get feed, say I don't have that, open your doors, let them go outside and they will forage and find the food that they need. They may not have near the milk production, but a goat's gonna live. Like look across, goat milk is the most drank milk in the entire world. Like go to all these other countries, what do they have? Goats, you know, they're mm -hmm. easier, they're easier to keep. They survive on less, you know, they are just like, they're a little hardy animal and um anyway it's it's neat to see that at least on this island it's it's a good option i i want to and this is my like little mission mind i want so badly to have little dairies pop up on all these little remote villages and places you know because of that reason um and it gives like it's kids can do this you know women can do like no. they can they can get all these milk products and and put them in a little tank, chill them out, and then give them to people. And there's no reason why we need, in my opinion, why we need these huge dairies when lots of little farmers all around the country could have these tiny little dairies yep. that are producing milk for people around them. But unpopular opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily unpopular with this crowd, but I, it's Let definitely not this crowd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is definitely an unpopular opinion and almost a taboo opinion to like think raw milk is better than pasteurized milk. Like that's such like yeah. a hard stop for people. They just can't get over that hurdle. Hello, Brenda here, interrupting the conversation for just a moment to tell you about our sponsor. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Primed for Planting. 
your business resource for turning homesteading dreams into thriving ventures. We all know that success begins with preparation, and Prime for Planting is on a mission to empower and support homesteaders on their journey towards building successful businesses of their own. From laying solid foundations with tools for idea validation and business planning to strategic resources for marketing, sales, and scaling, Prime for Planting has it all in one place. No matter if you're just starting out or are a seasoned business owner, Prime for Planting provides the information you need to be successful. It's not just about dreams. It's about turning them into reality with the right business tools. Head to primeforplanting.com and start your journey towards a profitable future from your homestead. Prime for Planting, sowing the seeds of success for your homestead dreams. Thank you so much. And now back to our regularly scheduled broadcast. So I guess I have two questions. We'll go with the family one first. So when you moved from Nebraska to rural Alaska, how hard was that of a transition? Because I know a lot of people that are wanting to homestead don't have land accessible to them like in their state. And I know a lot of people are also looking out state at different, you know, homeschooling laws and, you know, raw milk laws and different things for where where they feel comfortable and where they want to fit in. So how was that to move so far away from your family? Like how did that work and affect your relationships and things like that? I think that that's a a hard question to ask and a hard question to get answers to. And so I just wanted to kind of feel that out and see what you thought. So first, I'm really close with my family and Steven's really close with his family. We did not move here because we wanted to get away from anything necessarily at all. And we were both kind of adventurers, but we love our families and we miss them dearly. Um, but we just felt like that this was where we were being called to be. Um, mm-hmm. We have actually a farm in Nebraska that we're renting out. I do not own, actually own this land that I am on. This is under a lease, but this is where we have felt called to be. But I think it's also somewhat recreatable. You know, if you find a piece of land or if there's something that's, you know, is somewhere they say, hey, could I, could I start a little farm on this piece of land? I, I mean, I think that people would be receptive towards that as far as like moving away mm-hmm. trying something don't think you have to buy the land I guess is maybe more of the the idea see maybe where there's an opportunity and see potentially if you can fit into those opportunities somewhere um so that yeah. you know that 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 might be an option um it Alaska is definitely different <laughs> than Nebraska um and the transition was was tricky, probably mostly in just the extreme disconnect, you know, that we can't go home if we want to go yeah. home just randomly. Um, we don't get to just have things that we want all the time. You know, like, uh, what was it? There was some, oh, cranberries. They're like, there are no cranberries on the island right now. You know, there just aren't cranberries oh. on the island. You know, yep. and it's, Christmas is coming up. They're like, oh, I saw, you know, like we watched the barge go by and I was like, tomorrow there'll be cranberries at the store, you know, if you want cranberries. Um, So, you know, that's, those are those kind of hard adjustments at at times. Um, I'm going off course. Tell me your question one more time. Say it again. Just like how, how it affected your relationships, like being so distant from your families. How did that go? Like, how do you fill that space? So. So, um, 
at times, you know, so it's just my sister and I, I have one older sister. And so with a mom that has MS, sometimes it can be tricky because something will happen, you know, like there'll be, um, and here my mom has MS, but like my dad had a heart attack this past year and my, you know, my, my sister's at home and I'm here far away. And it's like, okay, but if I need to come home, I can come home. I'll be there. Except that I also have a dairy and goats. So I can't just come home, but I will do my best. And so the nice part is I, my family, I grew up in a Christian family. They are all Christian people. That's huge. Stephen's yep. families are all Christians. That like, I think if, I, if there's anybody that's single, that's listening, find an equally yoked person to, to, to mm -hmm. meet. Um, because like, and I'll get emotional cause it's really hard to be away, but thankfully there's so much grace for that. You know, that my mom always, always is praying. She's like, I'm just praying that the Lord hurry up, hurries up and does whatever he needs you to do up there. So you can come back home <laughs> and there's never any guilt. You know, there's never any of that. There's maybe some guilt on myself. Like I'll have one day over Christmas where I'm like, I just want to be home. I really miss my yep. family. I wish that my kids could be with their grandparents. You know, that's that's tricky. Um, you know, even when we do an event here, like we did a Bethlehem event. We just got done. We recreated Bethlehem in our gym at Kodiak Baptist Mission. So from like it was like go back in time. And our kids are all part of that. And we got done. And I was like, what you did, you just you were little missionaries. You reached out. You were you know, to try and instill that now our kids are part of this, but they didn't ask to be part of this. They were born yep. into it. And so now it's my job to do the, my very, very best to not have them resent it, you know, to say, we just want to live normal lives or, you know, darn Jesus, like, come on. Or I'm like, yep. no, this is good. Like there's a sacrifice that we, we have the opportunity to make. Like we can, you can, you can help do this. And this may not be your choice in life, but this is dad and I's choice, you know, that we've been and um, so it can be tricky. I guess that that's the biggest thing. I think, I think, and this is hard to do. Like I get those guilt feelings or I have those, those bad feelings. And sometimes I want to keep them. I want to hold them. Like sometimes it's as odd as that sounds, it feels good to feel icky, I guess. But yeah. the second that I say, in the name of Jesus, no, I'm not going to hold on to this. This is, these, these, these thoughts are not pure. These are not of you, Lord take them from me. He always does. It's just to be like, come on, Kelly, be, be, be big enough to say, I don't have it. Like, please take it, Lord. Like you got no. this. I do not. Uh, so, and again, though, it comes through having really great Christian families and a really, like yeah. my husband is so fantastic and is our spiritual leader in our home. Like he is our, like he depends on Jesus. And that really is very helpful. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I think that's really cool. And I think that's a, it's a hit or miss. I feel like it almost trickled off in a lot of, I think it, it got, as we got more modernized in the world, that has gone down. And yeah. like, yes, there are still those great Christian husbands and fathers out there that spiritually lead households. But now there's so many distractions and the devil has his hands in so many places that pull them away and pull us away and yeah. even pull us from our kids and that it, that makes it very hard to find and so you god got you a good one you got really blessed with that and i love that you for know, you so much interesting statistic one of these missionaries said like if a dad if a father finds jesus it's like a 98 percent chance that the rest of the family is going to find jesus wow. it's a little bit lower 
with mom, but like dads, if dads find the Lord, then your family, like, and that's a tr tricky one too here for the longest time. I thought I'm going to change the world by working with these kids that I don't do mm -hmm. anything with other people's kids. I will make a huge impact with my children, but my job is to help bring families together, hopefully help bring dads and moms. So I realized I'm like, it's not just me. Like we do bushcraft events or we do other events, you know, that, that help bring the fathers in. Cause if these families mm -hmm. find Jesus, they're the ones that will impact their families' lives. Um, and sometimes I think the best thing we can help do is to help model some of that, you know, to be the best that we can. Um, and I guess I have a traditional feel on it. Like, I'm not like my husband really respects me a lot. He's still the leader in my home, but I want to make sure he's doing good. Like I want to, I want to do my best to be a good wife. Um, cause when I'm a good wife, he's a better dad and he's a better husband and, and we can do more together than that's amazing. I tell so you, I don't you... get teary when I do these. You've just brought out, like, I'm going to get emotional over here. <laughs> we'll, we'll switch gears. We'll switch gears. We'll go back to the goat. We'll <laughs> there you go. Um, we'll topics. <laughs> so when you first came and you first got your goats, yeah. you had two mini Nubians, you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. Two, yeah. two goats. How many do you have now? Well, I've decreased a little bit because I'm trying to be more sustainable here, but I think I think I'm at 30. I'm at 30-ish. And that'll jump. Like that number jumps when you have baby goats. But we're yep. entering winter. It's breeding season right now. So so are, is, are you primarily mini Nubians still? Or do you no. have other breeds? No, I left the mini Nubians. They were too little. So, you know, people love okay. Nigerian dwarfs. People love mini Nubians. They are not my jam. Like, I do not want to bend over all the time, but it's backbreaking for me. And their little teats are too small for me. Um, I know they have great butter fat in their milk. I know there are great benefits to them. Not my, not my jam. So I have now Nubians and Sonnens. And then I've done a mix, which is a Snubian. A Snubian. They're, they're <laughs> the most fantastic goat in the whole world. That's a neat part about dairy goats. Like, if you're, if you're in it for, like, your paper registered, whatever, you limit your ability, I think, to do so many cool things. Like, find this really great milk goat. And then here's a really great goat that, like, has an awesome uh, body style for the climate that you're in. Mix those suckers together. Do that. So that's how we've gotten these Snoobians. And then I just brought in a little La Mancha buck. Those are the ones without any ears. Because, oh. yeah. I, I said I would never do that. Like I said, I'd never have a corgi dog because I thought they were weird. And now I have a corgi. And I was like, I will never have a goat without ears. Like, and, and now you do. Yep. There's little Loki buck over there. Like he has gray hair though. Like he's like Elvis. And, um, but these oh launches are really sturdy. And so like they come out like just kicking and are really tough. So in our area that I'm in, I really wanted that toughness. And they have good milk. I've heard they can be kind of punky. I don't yep. have alpines. Um, they're too mean for me. They just are, they are too territorial. They beat up my Nubians. So I was like, you're out. Um, Nubians are dumb, but wonderful. They can be kind of loud, but you can breathe that out. Like you don't have to have loud Nubians. And um no. And, and then the Sonnens, the thing with the Sonnen, they're all white. They're going to always be white. 
and they're dominant. I like color. I like a little color in there. I like yeah. longer ears. So Sonnens are so sweet and so wonderful. They're really big, um, but, uh, and they have a high milk production. The butter fat quantity in a Sonnen is not quite as high. But sorry, this is a lot all at once. But your Sonnen and Nubian also have a little bit higher meat quality. So okay. um, when you are in the dairy go business, you're also in the meat business. And so I found that I was not going to be keeping all these kids. These kids were going to go to meat more than likely. So I wanted to, to work on having a baby goat that was going to get to be a good weight as quick as I could get them because I didn't want to keep them forever. I didn't want to you know, use their milk for the milk forever. So I, that's where, so I've kind of landed Nubian, Sonnen, and because I'm kind of a like squirrel mind, I've pulled in that La Mancha because why not? Why, why not? Why not? Try something new. I, I need to go over to your Instagram and see if I can find a picture of that goat because he sounds something special. He's I like, like he's, and right now it's breeding season and he, like he's young, but he's walking around there like he is truly like the king. He's just... <laughs> I love it. And I love him. Like I got, I got him as a baby. So I'm really a big fan of bottle feeding bucks because it makes them nice. And I know they stink, but as a kid, I remember once we brought a buck in and he was so mean and I got pinned between him and the fence and he just started ramming me into the fence again and again. And I was like, no, and you have to keep a buck here. So there's no like drive-by breedings in Kodiak. You got to have your animals. So I like the bottle raised ones. They stink. But they are so sweet. Um, yeah. So they, I have these stinky bucks that are like, hey, you want to be buddies? And I'm like, stay away. <laughs> you stink so bad. <laughs> well, so now when you're talking breeding, so if you're going to breed the one with no ears, the Lamont, is that what you call them? Yeah, La Mancha. Okay, La Mancha. <laughs> when you breed them with like a Nubian or whatever one you're going to breed, is the no ears a dominant trait? Like, are these little kids, are they going to have ears or no ears? Or is it going to be a guess? I think it's going to be all over the place. I think we're going to have, have one with like, one ear and one with, like, I don't know. I, mean, I need to do some more research. I did really good at first. And the ear thing just, I didn't really think about it. Like, what if I have one that has, like, an ear? Like, what if? I don't know. It's going to be great. I don't know. I, I can't I, wait for spring. I've just got, I don't know. It'll be so interesting. It is going to be very interesting. I'm very excited to see this experiment. <laughs> yeah. So it, and that, but that's the fun part with goats. Again, why not? Like you find something you're interested in bringing into your herd. Like make sure you know your farmer. Don't just be like, I have a few people on the mainland that I really trust. I trust their goats. I trust them. And so those are the people I'm going to work with. That can be the dangerous part of goats. If you have people you don't know and you're bringing in diseases. But that's not like, mm-hmm. yes, but ju- just know your farmer. And if you want to do blood tests, you can definitely do blood tests, you know, or just know your farmer and trust that they're doing the things they need to. Um, anyway, but bring in the quality that you want to add. Like, just have some fun with it. And and like I have goats that I will keep forever that I love. There are some that I do not. And the great part about that too is there's always a market for goat meat. Like it's yeah. there's always a good market for it, even if it's yourself. So how long of a life expectancy does a goat have? 
or how long yeah how long is it life expen- expectancy total but then how long do you keep a milk uh, a milk goat mil- like mm-hmm. you're milking it like how long do you allow yeah. that to go on so goats can have a really long life you know like you can have your like 12 year old goats i think my oldest is eight or nine right now and it's just yeah i love her like she's great and she's still in good good shape um their milk quality decreases the older they get so um however i only know that because i do milk sampling and so i can see like goats are odd so that's the other thing goats don't follow the cow rule so like um goat somatic so somatic cell counts you know let you know if like you potentially have mastitis coming or there's a problem goats don't need a reason to have elevated somatic cell count except that loki the buck walked by and they're like hey oh now my somatic cell is gonna jump up by 400 like it's ridiculous (laughs) um so goats don't necessarily follow the general rule i noticed that with my older goats they have a higher somatic cell count nothing's wrong with their milk tastes great but the like they just it's a little bit lower than my one two three year olds that are like super low somatic cell count you know milk and milk and off off the charts but um like my older goats so like jelly bean she's my old goat maybe she doesn't have quite as high a quality of milk all her milk's going to go to feed the baby goat so i can use my one two three four year olds and i'm going to we're going to drink all that milk so, you know, yep. you might have, you know, your, a few that you kind of, you kind of play around with just a little bit, but sometimes you have goats that just, that's the other part. Like you'll kind of find your preferences. You know, if you have a, a couple of goats, try their milk. What do you prefer? What are you going to keep reading into? You know, like, oh, I like this yep. because it's very like generational. You're going to keep getting what you breed into with goats. Yeah. That makes sense. And it's nice that you're so hands-on with mm-hmm. your operations. That way you know it like yeah. the back of your hand. Yeah. And you know your goats and how they produce and everything. Yes. That's so important because, I mean, if you talk about these large commercial farms, they have no idea. Mm-mm. They have no idea. This this cows in this stall go milk. Like, yeah. you don't. You can say it. whatever you, you want, but you don't. You don't know if you're not there. No. No. <laughs> I don't know I'm getting milk from Jelly Bean or not. Like, no, don't I don't know what I'm giving you. You know, like even the farmer. And they're right. to be honest, in a large farm, the farmer's not even the one milking. And that's the time when I get a little bit worried. You have people that really don't care that are there. Yep. And that's where knowing your farmer going small, I think is really beneficial. Yeah. I agree. I totally agree with that. So out of the breeds of goats you have, if you could only have one of those breeds, like based on like their personality and like what you, you know, like about it, what breed would you go to? You could have one. Nubian would be my pick. Yeah. I just love their darn ears and they're so sweet. And I like the higher butter fat, you know, cause I want to make cheese and, and we, we aren't as big of milk drinkers as we are byproducts of milk. And so like, I love yogurt a lot. Um, Mm. So, you know, that's something that, I just think across the board, Nubian has is just great, and they're a little bit heftier. You know, they can be thicker. I'm interested yep. in that. They're easier keeper. I think getting away though from a purebred, like if you can get three quarters Nubian something else, like you're gonna have a steadier goat than a purebred goat. Okay, 
That makes sense. Yeah. I know people say that about dogs. Like, as you all know, I do not live on a farm. I live on an urban homestead here. So I do not have any goat experience, any cow experience <laughs> whatsoever. I have chickens in a garden. Um, so this is all like new to me. But so I know like people that have dogs, they always talk about like a purebred Labrador retriever. You know, once they get bred so many times, like sometimes people say like if they have a three quarters lab and like a quarter of this, they like their dog so much better for hunting or they like it so much better as a family dog because of X, Y and Z. And so you hear that a lot and people give like the mutt a bad name. But if it's, you know, you're crossing genetics or if genetics are crossing like um, in the lineage of, of the, the dog, like it's. It can cause issues so i think having like three quarters nubian mm-hmm. a quarter yep. something else makes total sense yeah in that part of my brain you got it that's so. exactly that's how i think too and it's not yeah. always technical like i think that you have to with anything you kind of trust your gut on stuff like mm-hmm. it's okay we're smart people like don't think that there's necessarily some somebody that knows it all like if you're like i think this would work to try it so how long do you let your goats stay in milk before you start drying them up before breeding so this one is kind of dependent on your goat i have a couple of goats that will milk two years at least without being bred back and they want to milk especially those like those saunins they want to keep milking um 18 months probably i there are some though that I like to take a little break if I can in there. That's what's great about again being small. So I like to milk 10 months, take two months off, and then start up again. So about a 10-month cycle is where I'm at. And then I, you know, I I breed in there. So it's a five-month gestation. They have two months before they kid that they they just work on growing a baby. And then and then we yep. go again. So about a 10-month, but like I have a girl down there right now that I'm Mindy or Missy that I'm milking and she's going to be so mad when I'm like, Hey, time to dry off. She'd be like, don't do this to me. Like, please keep milking me. Um, Cause she just wants to keep going anyway. This might be a really silly question, but it, again, I don't know anything about animals No, it's okay. or goats. Um, so when you talk about a 10 month cycle, two months off, um, does that mean in those two months you're not milking any goats or do you have all these goats on like a different like calendar? So you can't, you can do that. You can have it on a different schedule, like back and forth. Yep. Um, like I'll only have one goat in milk for my home for those two months. Okay. Otherwise everything else is going to be off. Yep. And then after, you know, and I, but I've done it before where it's been like, I'm trying to do all the things, you know, like babies in September, babies in January, babies in May. And that gets to be a lot. Yeah. You know, I kind of pulled back a little bit from, from that one. Uh, I think if you have your whole family involved, like right now I'm a single all by myself milker. Um, but if I had multiple, like everybody was wanting to help milk goats, then I think that it'd be a lot easier to, yep. to do it 12 months and sense. just cycle. Do you milk your goats once yeah. a day or twice a day? I'm a once a day milker. Nice. Big fan of once a day milking. Good for you. It's so great because you have your afternoons free. Yep. I love it. That's so nice. So then when you are milking, do you milk by hand or do you have a machine? I have a machine. So unless it's just one goat, if I'm milking one goat, you have to have like a, this is worth having to wash the machine. Yeah. So I, 
um, I will hand milk up to like three goats. After three goats, then I'll start to use a, mach a machine mm -hmm. after that point. So. Okay. Do you have any recommendations on like a good beginner milk machine or what you use? I, you know, I went back in the day, it was some milking facility. They're out of business now mm. where I got my original milking machine. But you can look, so look at your inflations. So this, if you're getting, if you're going to do a milk machine, look at your inflation size. If you have a mini Nubian, there are smaller inflations. Inflations are just what you hook on the teeth. Yep. If you have, you know, a bigger goat, get a full length inflation. Or if you think, if you start small, but you think you're going to get a bigger goat, just go ahead and go for the larger inflation. Yep. You can have, you know, smaller, smaller teats on that. And then the other part about it is with you. So I have an air, it's like an air compressor type thing. It's a, that that's what I, I use and just know your, the amount of suction that's on there. And that's again, trial and error. I go a little bit less, but I'm not in a hurry. So if I'm, a, if I'm a commercial dairy, like I want to hit my most efficient, you know, milking point, but you're going to have other problems yep. four times a not. For me, I'm like, I enjoy milking. I'm going to slow that sucker down and just drink my coffee and enjoy the time. Um, so if you're not in a hurry, I think that that's too where you get in trouble with the milk machine. You know, be there. I have to manually put mine on and manually take them off. Like that's not a, like it doesn't just stop when the goat is done. So I have to be an active participant. A milk machine is not necessarily means that like you're not being active in some ways you have to almost be more active you know, cause you're just, it's a, it's a machine, it's electrical, you know, so I get done. I always pull the milk machine off just a little bit early and then I milk out the rest okay. of the way for my goat to make sure that I, I get everything. Cause I just don't trust the machine always. Yep. Um, that and if your machine break, that's the other thing. Like that's also, so I'm always trying to figure out, okay. So if, if all the electricity went out, I need to make sure I have an amount of goats that I can milk, like call the boys. Grayson, Landry, Fletch, and I are going to sit there and we're going to, maybe Steven will help. He's not. He would not. He'd be like, I'll hold the bucket. <laughs> um, we're going to go hand milk. But like, what can we do? What can we hand milk at a, you know, at a good rate? That's the other part. Like, I always want to be thoughtful that I don't want to be so big that if I had to go back and do this all by hand, that I couldn't do it. That makes so. sense. That makes lots of sense. Because <laughs> that would be so hard. You had 100 goats and no power and, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, horrible that would be so bad <laughs> is there anything else that you think that people would like to know about goats or i think sometimes you're you know like there's this perception you have to like treat your goats for all your stuff all the stuff i actually don't and i don't alaska might be different than other places but you don't necessarily have to you know like i have a clean heart i have decided i blood tested huh? all my goats we don't have any diseases oh. we're good um i also don't think you have to over deworm your goats like I deworm once a year right after kidding season I do all of my like I give them you know a vitamin E psyllium and I give up you know different but I do that right after kidding uh, something else that I do that's a little bit different maybe than other people I do not feed my goats any grain whatsoever when they're pregnant if they're not milking like if they're milking I'll feed them some, but you're going to help yourself out, especially as like a homestead farmer to not have an overweight goat. Don't, don't feed your goat. <laughs> don't feed your goat grain. 
um, when they're making those babies. Give them plenty of hay, give them their mineral, um, but you're going to be the one, yeah. you know, birthing those babies more than likely. And then watch, I always say watch some videos or like look at the, like birthing can be interesting and I want a hundred percent, you know, right. And it's not always been that way. So I have learned like, not that I'm going to intervene, but I'm going, I'm going to be there the best that I can to help my goat get through this. I don't want her to get so tired trying to naturally birth a baby that I lose my milking goat. Like at the end of the day, I want my, my doe to be okay. I want the babies. I really want my doe to be okay. And so I think, you know, having small babies and being, being present, you know, with them. And the other part, gosh, if you like ours are bottled, my, my, mine were bottle raised. They got the milk back from their moms, but they're just so tame and wonderful. Like I love my goats. They like this morning I sat there with my goat that a few of them particularly, and they're like, we like look at each other because they know your face. They know you. I know that sounds so odd, but you know, like I'm their person. So when it comes to the birthing time and they're like, this really stinks. And I'm right. You know, I put my face next to them. I'm like, yeah, but we got this. It's just creates such a neat atmosphere. I think that there's a holistic way of doing things all the way through, even with your, your livestock. And that's what you like, you know, it's so good for our mental health and our physical health. I think that it's just being there and being present can be really a neat added bonus it's the side you don't always think about like you get the nutritional benefit but there's like the physical mental benefit to your animals and i mean look at how popular goat yoga look how popular goat yoga has gotten like people just go to pay to have goats stand on them during yoga what yes <laughs> yeah it's crazy. i know it's bizarre but 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 like i will go out like my my husband will be like oh you were laying out there with the goats again i'm like yeah it was like I go in the field and they just all like climb on me Aww. and it was, it's very therapeutic <laughs> it's so fun I love it so yeah. I when we when we first started the podcast before we started recording you had said something that a friend had told you at one point and I think that's probably important maybe to shed some light on for everybody else that maybe is thinking about goats I know it's kind of I don't know maybe more morbid type advice but I from what you said, I, oh. I thought it was really important. And if you might, wouldn't mind seeing yeah. that. So it's horrible, but like goats are looking for a way to die. They're hard. They are probably one of the hardest homestead animals. And, you know, like I always think chickens are a great starter or rabbits are a great starter, but then goats get thrown into that. Goats are so hard. Mm-hmm. There are so many things that can go wrong. And if you haven't had anything go wrong, that is awesome like that's just so great but it's gonna happen and um you know like I had a goat and it was just horrible like somebody had left molasses and the goats got out and they ate all the molasses and my buck was dead within 24 hours didn't matter what I was gonna do you know I I've had times I have one of my goats Jezzy she's actually still alive but I came down and like she couldn't stand and her eyes are darting. And I, at the time I was like, what is wrong with my goat? You know, like what's happening in three weeks of tube feeding and like getting her to walk again. But that's a success story. That doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. I had somebody bring me, you know, a goat that had come in and two days later it died. And I had to call him like, I don't know what happened. I have no idea what happened. I'm good at this. Like I'm not, this is not like, I'm good at, I'm good at this. And you still sometimes will lose goats. Like that's part of it. Or like you do absolutely everything you can to like 
feed your goat just the right way and to be there when the baby comes and you're still going to lose a baby. Yep. Um, this year, like we're an island, we don't have vet services, but to be honest, vet services are expensive. And so a lot of the time we're having to do things on, on our own and you have to kind of make tough calls. Like I had a goat that had a twisted uterus. Like, is it going to be the baby goats? Are you going to try Like you're going to lose everything? It's tough. Goats are really hard. Um, don't be discouraged, I yeah. guess, would be the biggest thing. If you want to do it, be there. Do your best that you can. But just know that um, that's a there are complex farm animal to have. And that's why having multiples are good, too. Sure. That's a neat part about a goat. Um, that's a neat part about, you know, goats that you have four or five. And that's, again, not to be like morbid, but if you do lose one, you still have four left that you're milking. Right. You lose your one milk cow, you're sunk. Yes. Like, that was it. That's all you had. Um, so, and goats, you know, they eat a lot less, so you can afford to keep a couple more compared to that really big cow. Yep. Um, so, yeah, there are, there are really great reasons to have them on the homestead. I think that they are, like, such a great, I, if I had to pick, it'd be chickens, rabbits, and a goat. Yep. Like, that's what you need to live. Uh but you're, it's a hard learning curve at times. And I feel like the longer I do it, the less I know, <laughs> you know, it's always like, oh, I was, I was a, I was an expert on goats until I got to year three and then all oh, it just got bad, you know? And so, um, and I'm always, I'm always doing my best to learn. Like I have a great friend that she lives, she lives out in the boonies in Kodiak where she knows all the things. And so I'm always like, Katja, what do I do? What what did I do wrong? Like, you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have somebody that does. Yes. Like, just find your friend that does know the answers. And and then just have the courage to ask for help. I think that's a big one, too. Yeah, so. for sure. Asking for help is huge. And it's hard to do sometimes to swallow your pride and, like, yeah. you know, put that behind you and the embarrassment behind you. But uh, asking for help and having those friends you can lean on is so important. Yes. In one of his books, Joel Salatin says that he's not smart enough to have goats. Like, he's like, oh, you want, like, why don't I have goats? I'm not smart enough to have goats. I was like, oh, that makes me feel better, like, on the tough days. And he's like, the best. You can take that as I'm smarter than Joel Salatin or I'm a little bit not smart. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Crazy. That's why that's how you get the crazy goat lady term. Like it's a thing. Yeah, no, for sure. Anyway. I love it. Crazy chicken lady, crazy goat lady. After, yeah. uh, I totally am there. I totally get you. I chickens. Yeah. That's for me. Like I'm like, I feel like chickens are the hardest thing in the world. Like, so <laughs> they're intimidating to me. They're like little dinosaurs out there running around. Yeah. Or something. They are. They're totally, yes. <laughs> yeah. They're interesting. I have my chickens yeah, and they're something else so so many things with chicken yes do you guys have a lot of predator issues uh interesting dogs are actually one of our biggest predators eagles are huge so like i have to keep all my baby goats undercover until they get big enough that the eagles can't take them away so eagles will swoop down like i had one day that a goat had gotten out and i got i mean i think i could almost touch the eagle it was it was like we were fighting over the baby goat and he was like i'm Ooh. gonna take this i'm gonna take this goat and i'm like no you're not gonna take this goat like i've had where eagles have hopped all the way into my barn like i've come into wow. the barn and there are eagles inside the barn That's and you know it's like ah you have to get out as fast as you, as you can 
bears come through, but they have never, like they've looked at the goats and been like, oh, hey goat. And then they just keep moving on. Um, yeah, I would have thought you would have had more bear issues than eagle issues. <laughs> because we're right on the city limits, the bears that come to where we're at are interested in trash. And so the goats are too much. It's very sad, actually. Yep. But goats are too much work. They just prefer to find a trash can. Yeah. So eagles, eagles probably take like, uh, I know they are beautiful and majestic. And I like just yesterday I saw one fly over and I was like, wow. And I was like, oh, I can't believe I like you, you stupid bird. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I couldn't imagine coming face to face with an eagle. They are just massive. Massive. And then to have them like goat barn, I don't think so. Oh, wow. We had one that got stuck underneath. We have net, so like the fishing net, and it got stuck underneath the fishing net trying to get a duck, and to try and like save the ducks, and then like how do we get this eagle out without? And they're very intimidating. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. And that yeah. beak looks just terrible, and their talons. Mm -mm. Oh, there's something. I don't know. I don't so. I cracked my head open. It's <laughs> wild. Absolutely wild. <laughs> yep. Well, I think we hit a lot of things. We hit a lot of different things. I feel like I need goats. I feel like you do too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and my mom's boyfriend actually wants goats, but he doesn't want to milk goats. But I'm like, well, if you get goats and if you get milk goats, I'll come milk your goats. Yeah. Maybe we can like yeah. work on. That's what's so cool about a goat goats. too, because you just figure out the schedule that works best for you, and you put the goat on that. Cows are not yeah. the same way as goats. Like if you want to milk every day at two in the afternoon, just milk at two. Interesting. And you can you can take it within an hour. So like right now, it's Christmas break, so I like I'm milking an hour later. Yep, that's great. Like I just put them on that schedule, and that's what I want to do. If you stay a little bit flexible, you know, like these big dairies, I'm going to do that. But if you stay a little bit flexible, keep your you know your time moving within an hour. You're great. But yeah, if you want to milk yeah. it 10 in the morning, milk it 10 in the morning. If you want to milk it 8 p.m. at night, awesome. Do it. You just pick it and do it. And I had a friend that she milked every other day. That's just what she wanted to do. So it worked. But it works. Like, they're the best homestead oh. animal. That's awesome. So cool. Yeah. So cool. They're so really cool. cool. All right. I'm going to end right. this sucker here. Okay. All right. Good. Well, Kelly, I just want to say thank you so much. You have given us so many... Uh, snippets of your life from your travel from Nebraska to Alaska, all about your homestead, um, raising your kids and um, raising goats and the rest of your animals on your little homestead. So thank you so much. If you guys want to follow Kelly and see all of her adventures, she's super active on Instagram. You can see her stories like daily. Her reels are super funny. Um, make sure you go follow her at Kodiak Goat Dairy on Instagram. We'll also put that in the show notes here below. Um, and if you have any questions, I'm sure you can reach out to her there um, and check out all of her stuff because you will not be disappointed. So thank you, Kelly, and I hope that everybody has a great day. Thank you. Yay!